to get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, two young misfits develop an online relationship. Why would she convince him to take his own life? We'll talk about the Hulu series, The Girl from Plainville. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, and yes, the love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Wait, where's Toby? I Wait, can't believe Toby? you set him up like this. He got sucked up by aliens in Exeter. <laughs> All right, so we should probably make like a small announcement. Kevin, where is Toby? Toby is on sick leave this week. Toby tested positive for COVID. Yeah, uh, at, he's not feeling at, well. Yeah, at the moment of this this podcast recording, he was uh, sniffly, did not feel well. He tried. But yes, he was, you know, uh, triple vaxxed. And so our hope is that like many people who have been vaccinated, that while he may be ill, that, that, that he won't be seriously ill and require any kind of treatment outside of the home. All he said is he feels like he's just a bad cold. And as somebody who has been suffering from essentially like a bad cold sinus thing for like a couple of weeks, I will yeah. say a bad cold can suck. But I'm sure yeah. he's going to be okay. It's just he's not feeling well enough to record. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we told Toby, take some time off. That's fine. I mean, you weren't here for like two weeks earlier in the month, so. I mean, not for nothing, I, but know, Toby, if you told us yesterday, maybe we could have gotten someone got, like, else. banker's hours now. Yeah, <laughs> I keep trying to remind Toby how like when Drew Bledsoe went out and Tom Brady came in, and Drew Bledsoe <laughs> never came back to the Patriots, it's like. I don't know, man. Maybe you want to, you know, get a lot of tissues and some Afrin and just tough it out. No, no, no. Toby, we are thinking about you. By the way, why are we talking to Toby? Like, he's, he never listens to the he's show. He's never going to hear this. I know. And you're like, Toby, did you listen to the podcast? He's like, no. No. Nope. <laughs> no. Nope. But his mom listens to our podcast. Yes. Yeah. So she will tell him that we were thinking of him. Yes. Yeah. Very fun. Thank you, Faith. And not in any way making fun of his illness nor his absence. But yeah. I have an idea. Or the weird shape of his head. <laughs> Or that sometimes his hair is long and he looks like a little boy, and then sometimes it's short and he looks like super tough and hot, and we never know which one we're gonna get. <laughs> right? Like we never know. We see the guns. We like never know if we're gonna get bedraggled, sad little boy Toby. Yeah. And then sometimes he shows up and it's like hot Toby. Like we never know which one it's He's gonna so be. He's so handsome, Toby Ball. You're so tall, Toby Ball. I feel like yes. the other three of us like were pretty consistent, right? Yeah, we're we're a New Hampshire six. <laughs> hey, I'm a, a New, New Hampshire. Hampshire six. Laura and I are like New Hampshire eights. I we're think. like New Hampshire eights. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Maybe yeah. you're a New Hampshire six. I think I'm a New Hampshire six. <laughs> <laughs> I put on lip gloss tonight. <laughs> I'm wearing a necklace. That's a big deal for me. 
Um, so, so like, if you want to send well wishes to Toby, you can do it on Facebook and Twitter. It's going to be uh, way too late by the time the show comes Well, out. let's hope. Let's hope. Let's hope he's uh, on the oh, bed. I don't mean like he's going to be dead. I mean like it's going to be way too late. Oh, like he'll be better so already. Let's hope he'll yeah. be better already. Yes, of course yeah. he will. Okay, so I have an idea. Yeah. As much as possible, why don't we just try to like say like what would toby say like what would toby well, say right now he actually you know in the week he leading up texts. he said a couple of things so <laughs> we have some idea about how he feels about this topic and thursday's topic so, yes so yeah. we can just i don't know insert his thoughts and perhaps maybe kevin you could do your imitation of him doing his thoughts uh no that wasn't my toby <laughs> no, i actually it was. Didn't know. <laughs> that was perfect that was perfect all right uh so it's interesting yes interesting <laughs> no t's in that word all right so um we should probably I think get it's into... time to start it let's oh, try that wait but before we do oh, kevin what, what, what? uh this is monday's podcast and yeah. we have another show coming out on thursday right right what is the topic of that podcast that's dropping on thursday we're talking about the podcast yuba county five wow i can't wait and don't hold your breath for Toby to be there. But again, <laughs> he had thoughts that we already know about. So. Yes. And as people who might be into the show might not realize, we do tape both of these episodes. You the don't have to pull time. the curtain back all the time. <laughs> okay. With that being said, should we start the review for this episode? Yeah. Let's begin. Michelle? Michelle, what is it? Conrad's dead. Who's Conrad? A teen's death by suicide shocks his blue-collar family. Conrad Roy's mother learns he'd been having a virtual relationship with a girl in another town, one who seemed strangely close to Conrad in his final days. It's strange that someone so close to him and we never met. Conrad was private. Not with me. Having trouble in real life relating to young people, Michelle Carter found comfort in her online romance with Conrad. But investigators combing their text messages discover instead of stopping him, Michelle may have instructed him to take his own life. Michelle, when you were on the phone with Conrad the night of his death, did you, did you tell him to get back in the truck? Elle Fanning and Chloe Sevigny star in the Hulu docudrama The Girl from Plainville. The series captures the sadness of two teens who don't fit in, their path to tragedy, their mental illness, and the agony of adults piecing together why it all happened. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from The Girl from Plainville. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Kevin, mm-hmm. let's just talk about the fact that this was made. I mean, we can't okay. not start there, okay? <laughs> well, all right. We can't. I mean, I just think that's an overarching theme because I usually don't talk first, but I'm just going to say it. I've never thought this about anything we have ever talked about before, ever. I'm always able to say, I understand at least on some extent why this was made because, you know, someone will find this entertaining even if it's gross, mm-hmm. right? We watched a documentary about this. I Love You Now Die. I Love You Now Die, made by Aaron Lee Lee Carr, Carr, which explored this case and actually took a different tack on this case, showed how the media got it wrong, explored how Michelle also had mental illness and how she perhaps was living out her own fantasy life through this relationship. Yeah. Showed us a new side of it. 
This is a fictionalized version of this story. Mm -hmm. And all I could think about the whole time is that we are fictionalizing a version of this young man's suicide. Did Mm -hmm. anybody else feel as icky as I did while watching this whole thing that this thing was made? Laura, how did you feel about that? Yeah, actually, I had a note about that. I'm like, um, first of all, what is up with every case that we've seen in a podcast and a regular documentary now being made into a docudrama? Like, how many of the same case do we need? And this oh, I can answer that question separately, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the new thing, but it's like this case in particular. It reminded me of that. What was that that show that we watched? That was it. Thirteen Reasons Why. Yeah, right. Which was a horrible hard watch. But this is like a true story, and I was like, so why are we? telling the story again. And why are we telling this story like an after school special slash high school musical with Zac Efron? Like for this family that has gone through this to then not only, you know, have the story told again, but have the story told in a way where the family dynamics are being fictionalized and dramatized. And the actress who played the mother, Coco's mother in this- Chloe Seven, yeah, yep. a, A tremendous job, but- Tremendous in the way that when you see how flat and devastated she is at the death of her son, you think, how must the real mother be feeling watching this right now? There was a minute today when I forgot. Just a minute. And then I remembered and it was like he he died all over again. And I feel guilty all over again. What is the end game in putting the story out there right now? Do you know what I mean? It's not that the actors and the actresses in this didn't do a good job, but I guess my sort of question was like, why this story? And yep. I, I guess I just didn't see like what was the purpose. And and again, it was nothing to do with the production value, the acting value, but just the overall sort of question, why? Yeah, I didn't feel icky about it, but it is just such a heavy sadness to the whole story that it makes it almost unbearable. You know, we're in a in a period now where with the way the true crime ecosystem is that you have a great podcast, then they'll make it into a movie or you have a great podcast documentary and then they'll make that into a, a you know, a series or, you know, something else. It's the cross-pollination of the stories. And we all gave thumbs up to I Love You Now Die because it's a compelling story. And so at its face, you might say, oh, that would be a good thing to create, you know, and, and explore dramatically. I think what happened, though, is what they ended up making is so heavy and so visceral that it's, I hate to use this word, unenjoyable. Right. I mean, I know it's very crass to say that there are stories that have much more aggravated violence and they are more engaging murders and things like that. There's something more visceral in this, the sadness of these parents and the idea of this kind of tragedy beyond the very legitimately interesting case about Michelle Carter and about her personality. It's almost like it did too good of a job bringing the human emotion to the story. And it's what makes it very uncomfortable for me to watch it. So I'll just, can I compare this with something else that's incredibly dark and visceral and difficult to watch and heavy? Yeah. I'm going to compare it with the movie that Jodie Foster won an Academy Award for, The Accused, okay? Mm -hmm. If anyone has never seen this movie, it is one of the darkest movies that recreates a crime very realistically, a real-life crime and horribly, which was the gang rape 
of a woman, I believe in Gloucester, Massachusetts, in a bar, and the whole town turning against her, not believing her, was in this very cloistered, like, Portuguese community. It was, like, a crazy case. Fall River, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, Televised. And it was like one of the first televised trials, yeah. and it was horrible. We and had dark. it again in trial by media. Yes, which was, and yeah. it was very, very. The movie was a dramatized version of this very painful experience, and the the reason why a movie could be made was because the televisation of the trial had revealed the victim's identity, right? So I'm looking, I think about that because I think about, you know, it must have been difficult for the victim to see this. That being said, the victim later sort of, her story became a force for good in changing the laws around rape shielding and the way trials are done. And so there's like, at least like a public interest in letting the public see that and know that. And I compare that to this and I am like, we're talking about two minors with mental illness and two families who have lost their children. Conrad is dead and Michelle is in prison. And we know from Aaron Lee Carr's documentary that Michelle is also ill. Her relationship with Coco was a realization of her mental illness fantasy. Like her relationship was not a real relationship. It was her playing out a mental illness-driven fantasy. And they're doing it in the show in such a way that they're giving us clues of that. And I'm sure it's going to go further down that road. And, you know, the audience is going to be led that way. Elle Fanning, by the way, is a tremendous actress. Yeah. And she's doing a really good job playing this role. And I don't want to take anything away from her performance. And I'm sure the writers have written this very well. And if this were fiction, we'd have be having a very different conversation, right? So we know we're going there. All I can think about is that these are real people and that these are kids. It is all I can think about. And I have never felt that way. Honestly, we've watched a lot of things where it's real people and they've been kids and they've been whatever. And I've just been like, listen, this was in the news. I know it's awful. It's not tasteful. It's whatever. But it's also been in the news and it's fair game to some extent. And we can all agree that it's gross. I have never felt so viscerally grossed out by something being made before, ever. Yeah, because I don't want to get into the position where we say there are certain crimes that you can't no, do on TV, you right? You can't. You are no, allowed no. to, uh, but sh- should you? Right, should you? Look, I, two points. One, Rebecca and I, we had a treatment for a book that we were going to do about two kids who were murdered. Yep. And long story short, our publisher said, nobody wants to read books about dead kids. And, you know, like that made sense. That's not fun or enjoyable or anything like that, even when you're into true crime. Even if the story so, is about more than that, which even is if why the story we had about, the treatment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even if the story, it was, it was about much more than that. But regardless, so there's an idea here about, is this going to be entertaining? I think if they did this drama and it was superficial and the acting wasn't fantastic and they took it in different directions. based on it. It could be the story, but not, I think really, this comes down to this. I think this is very well done, which is why- Makes it, it worse. Which is why it creates the emotions in us, mm. right? You know, the Poseidon adventure is not crazy sexy, but Titanic was for some reason. It plucked at our emotional heartstrings. There's something here. And if this were bad acting and kind of over the top or whatever, I think we would be reacting to this differently as viewers. And I think a lot of people have the same the same thought. Okay, here's where I want to break in on Toby's behalf. All right, yeah. Because Toby at first texted me this week, and here's where he would interject. Toby at first said to me earlier this week, 
this girl from Plainfield just has me embarrassed for everyone involved. <laughs> Toby. And I said something like, you know, is it because it's kind of good, but it's about a real thing, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, no, it's not even good fiction. And I will explain why on the show. And then tonight, he actually just wrote in and said, the one thing I was going to say, Toby says, about the Plainville thing, in addition to how shitty it was in conception and execution, was that they do this thing where they try to build character by having every scene be in some way fraught and revelatory and then have the characters respond to that. But it just leaves you with these kind of stereotypes. You never see them being normal. Also, who the hell thought that leaning so hard on an REO nerd wagon was a good idea? That is Toby's... <laughs> REO uh, nerd wagon? That is Toby's <laughs> takeaway. So Toby's takeaway is we never get to see Coco being normal. We never get to see Michelle being normal. We're always getting to see them in these extreme situations. He's not wrong. No. He just brought up the REO speed wagon scene. Can we talk about that? Absolutely. Go ahead. So she is um, has a fascination with the TV show Glee. And we have to contextualize this. It's important because in real life, the actor who played the lead character in Glee, yeah. Corey Monteith, died of an overdose. And in real life, he was dating Leah Michelle, the lead actress on Glee. And then on the show, they fictionalized his death. Mm -hmm. They and wrote had it into the show. Leah Michelle grieve his death as a fictional character on the show, which in retrospect uh, yeah, okay. is super fucked up. So that's part of the thing that she is thinking about. And, you know, she's romanticizing everything about the relationship, including the deaths. And so there is one scene in which it is structured like a musical number from Glee, but it features Michelle and Coco, a.k.a. Conrad, singing I Can't Fight This Feeling to her. And it always seems that I'm following you, girl. Because you take me to the places that alone I never find. And even as I... It was... Obviously, an attempt at surrealism, and that does fit thematically with what her character is about and fixating on, but it felt really weird. Laura, what did you think about that scene? Well, when I saw that scene, again, I think I already said this earlier, but it reminded me of like high school musical. I felt like I was watching like a Disney movie slash after school special mm -hmm. on teen suicide and depression that was being marketed to a totally different audience than the audience that would have been watching the docudrama about this case. Like, it didn't fit with the tone of this subject. And I was like, when it came out, I said, what the fuck is this? Like, what? And I'm like, Toby is going to lose his shit over this as I was watching it. And I'm like, it was just one of those things that I'm like, okay, somebody thought this was a good idea and then someone else agreed with it and it made it in here. But in the overall picture of the show and what it was trying to do, it just wasn't the right decision. All right, guys, I think we should stop now for some business. I can't wait. Kevin, should we do our business? Let's do, let's do our business. <laughs> let's do our business. You mean like how the dog did his business do in the dead business. center of the road before I came in? Well, maybe if you like walked him on the side of the road, that Laura, would be an issue. No, there's no yellow line down the middle I'm of my street. Blaming. But if there were, it would have landed right on the line. 
And like a oh. tennis umpire would be like, it's in or something. Some like of us that. feel like you might have control of that when you're literally walking the dog on the leash and you can guide them where you want them to go. Some not, of us feel that way. I'm not cruel like you. It literally has never happened to me. I've never seen either one of our dogs poop in the middle of the road, yet this man complains that it happens constantly. There's only one factor that's different here. So on the Crime Writers on After Show. <laughs> What's happening? Oh, I on our thought Patre- we had a dog poop sponsor. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening on our Patreon right now, Kevin? Because that actually is what the business section is about. We're going to be talking about our adventures last weekend in Exeter at Exeter Lit Fest. Oh, my God. It was a It was, it a was time. lit. It was a time. I wasn't <laughs> expecting to be there, but then I was. It was amazing. Then you was. I it was like a celebrity appearance. And we had listeners. I know. And that is actually the next Leave It to Bricker is one of our number one fans, perhaps our number one fan, but we don't want to like leave anyone out. He's, I think, our number one evangelist fan. Okay. So our number one evangelist, Jamie Piscatelli, and um, he is talking about his adventures in Exeter, Exeter After Dark with Laura Bricker (laughs) and all of the things Mm. that he saw. Mm. And um, let me just tell you, it was an adventure. I bet. Yeah. That reminds me of Married with Podcast. We have a listener who wants to tell her parents about her polyamorous relationship. Yep. Also, guys, we have the new episode coming out this week of Toby's Deep Dive Book Club. Yes. Toby obviously is a little sniffly when he does it, but it's a really great discussion about the library book. Is the name of the book. His guests include Dr. Shiloh from LA Not So Confidential, Janet Varney from the JV Club, and Sarah D. Bunting from A Million Things, including Extra Hot Great. Yes. Also, I wanted to put in a plug for this week's terrible episode of These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast. You think it's a terrible episode? It's actually a really great episode, but in the worst possible way. Oh. We're looking back at an episode of Law and Order from 1996. It's a terrible episode the of Law and Order. The premise is that the murder suspect was a black man passing as a white man. Yes. A white actor playing a black man passing as a white man. Yes. It is as problematic as you imagine that it is. It is one of the worst episodes of Law & Order ever made. It was, you know, they're trying to be progressive and just the language. They were trying to be progressive. This was, how about we tell people if you want to hear our argument about it. By the way, it's the first episode that we've done that was so bad, we had to apologize on behalf of everyone involved, including us. Anyway, that's out on the uh, pods right now. If you want some of our exclusive content from Patreon, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And thus ends... Thus ends... The business section. The business section. Before we end it, though, Kevin, can I say one thing? Sure. Kudos to you for remembering to tell people where to get that content. And now, thus ends... The business section. So there's one thing I want to talk about that Kevin mentioned before about the deep sadness of the show. And I think one of the things you're talking about based on your notes, Kevin, is Coco's backstory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the back and forth between seeing him, you know, he has these periods of relative health and relative unhappiness. And you see the unraveling of his relationship with his parents and the unraveling of his mental health. First of all, I also want to commend his performance Colton Ryan, the actor who plays him, is truly, I think, vulnerable, real, and incredible in this role. I started to realize that I'm not doing as great as I thought I was. I can't hide it anymore. I can't pretend that everything's okay. Everything's not okay. And it's all just gotten worse since I started talking to you. So, Laura, we are both the parents of boys approximately the age 
that Conrad is portrayed to be at various points in this show. And there's mm-hmm. one thing, like, let's just pretend for a second that this is fiction, because there are moments where I, I do want to do that. I want to say, if we could slice out portions of this and pretend it's fiction and just talk about scenes, right, and how good certain scenes are and how good certain storylines are, there are points in this where I am like, what an absolutely fucking tremendous portrayal of being a family with a teenager with these swings, with mental health, and with not knowing if you're doing the right thing, and with trying to be like, okay, I did all these things, we think we're okay now, and we think we're cool, and then realizing that you fucked up and you didn't do all the things, but also you couldn't have known. You didn't fuck up, but you just couldn't have known that things were continuing. There's one moment where you know he comes back from a party, and as a viewer, we know he shouldn't have been drinking, but his mother couldn't have known that, Because she didn't know that he was already on this horrible path. She thought he was good because he had gone to therapy and everything. And he comes home and she's like, oh, you smell like booze. And you can tell she's just trying to keep it light, right? The viewer knows that's like a tragic path. I thought that stuff was heartbreaking and actually really well done as like a mom of a son that age. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, he comes home and you see... You know, she and her friend are sitting there and they're like drinking their bottle of wine and they're talking when he comes in. And I could totally, um, not that I'm like drinking a bottle of wine when my son comes home, but like I, it felt very <laughs> Hello, wine mom. My son is always just like, you're a wine mom. She's a wine mom. He's a wine. Listen, that's, it's, you know, we're not really wine moms, but we know, we know what we're talking about here. I know. Yeah. But I just, I guess it felt like there was like a, a sort of a feeling of authenticity to it. Like you could see it when he comes in and then he sits down and he's talking to them and they're like having this conversation. And, you know, as a parent who, you know, when you have a teenage son, when you get a conversation out of them and they actually want to sit down and share something actually real that's happening, you take the opportunity. And, you know, especially with kids that might be struggling like that, it's like, you're like, oh, they're talking to me. Things, things are going okay. And, and I think that, Again, the, and I said this earlier, like the character of the mother was just portrayed so well. Her facial expressions were just amazing in terms of like conveying how she was feeling at different points when, you know, he was having different things happen. But that particular scene, I agree with you, Rebecca. Like he came in, he sat down. Yeah, he'd been drinking, like not to, you know, but like that's kind of normal teenage experimentation. And and she thought things were doing okay. Um, so, Yeah. His his just dramatic swings, his having yeah. a great time with Michelle on the beach after abandoning his sister in the pizza place and then coming home and having the fight with his dad. It was extremely visceral and real. And if it were fiction, I'm like, this is dead on and great. The same with Kevin. Michelle's portrayal as being, by the way, uh, Elle Fanning is also in a show called The Great. Yeah. Which I recommend everyone watch. She plays Catherine the Great. Toby likes that show. A completely different character. I tried to break up the levity by saying, huzzah, which is a thing that they'd say. Oh, my God. And if you watch, if you know, if you watch The Great, and then the fact that she can play such a young teenager and also play Catherine the Great in that show, really, her range is incredible. But Mm -hmm. her portrayal of a teenager, obviously, you know, coping with mental illness, but also doing that thing that outsider teenagers do Mm -hmm. where they practice fitting in practicing in front of the mirror, play acting. At one point, she's in a relationship with another girl, which you can tell is another form of play acting for her. She's play acting at the fundraiser. Like, this is what a fundraiser is supposed to look like. So I'm going to act out the motions of it. 
those scenes, again, excising them from this real story that we all hate was made, if they were fiction. I don't hate it was made, but go ahead. Oh, okay, I do. Uh, if those scenes, taking yeah, them out, so, they, so well done, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'd like to put in my two cents about uh, Colton Ryan. I just love the way he is playing Coco because he has such a calibrated vulnerability. He's not like sulky or projecting weakness in someone like that, but his painted on smile conveys such sadness. And ironically, it's part of the reason why it's hard for me to watch. It's just too painful for that. But also, Elle Fanning, this is like one of those roles I keep thinking of like, when they go to, you know, acting workshops where they just get to cry all the time, you know, in like those big like emotional scenes. She's got a bunch of those. He, he was my star and he left too soon. Is that from Glee? Mind your own fucking business. Michelle. Hey, watch your language. I can't believe you guys are attacking me like this. After everything I've been through, leave me alone. I'm sure that she's loving the portrayal, but she also does that whole thing with playing the you know, the awkwardness and the alienation. There's a lot of, in this one, uh, showing and not telling. You know, the whole idea that Michelle is not really liked by her friends and that she doesn't fit in. They don't throw a lot of exposition around that. They just sort of show by the little cues that builds up. It isn't until maybe like episode three or four, like the little sister, you know, runs in and catches her on the computer and says, yeah, they don't even like you. Like, that's... The only time that, that they come out and say that. That family is not portrayed nearly as well as Coco's family, right? That family is so flat in terms of the, it's the depth that they do it with. And Coco's family is done with so much Yeah, depth. I mean, just sort of naturally, there's, there's a lot more drama there. But I felt like that family also felt like flat because I felt like they were not a family that was close like Coco's family. Like I, in a way that like Coco's family was a little more like, like it was like a fishing family and they were more blunt and direct in the way that they were talking with each other. And I feel like her family was like very prim and proper and like they didn't, you know, like when the mother goes to actually talk to her at one point, it's like this like very awkward conversation where they don't even really talk. Yeah. So, yeah. But here's my issue with that, because his family is portrayed in a nuanced way where even his relationship with his father, that it sometimes is abusive and sometimes is loving is nuanced. Mm-hmm. And, and the relationship among the, yes. uh, the, the you know, the, and, and everybody. And the relationship there, yeah. between the divorced parents. Yeah. Sometimes it's cordial, sometimes it's fuck you, is nuanced, which is realistic. The relationship between mother and son sometimes is, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Sometimes we're as close as can be. One of the things that is so heartbreaking and is probably a real detail is that she's heartbroken that he didn't leave a suicide note for her, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's so many things. And we go to Michelle's family and it's like the mom is superficial. The dad doesn't know how to have conversations. It's either they didn't know anything or they just made the creative decision to just do nothing with her family. Just because a family has money and they don't know how to communicate with each other doesn't mean there's no nuance And that, to me, is where if you're going to do something scripted, this really fell flat. Another place it fell flat for me, Kevin, I think the same for you, is in all the portrayals of the legal side of this, the DA scenes. What did you think of those scenes? Well, uh, you know, we're still early into the series there. You know, they're utilitarian because, of course, we're building towards the trial. But the idea, though, that that, uh, that one DA that... She's playing pool, and all of a sudden, that's when she gets the epiphany that, (laughs) wait a minute, that text where she said, I told him to get back in the car. Wait a minute. That means something. Not when she's at her office. Not when she's at his office. It's like, you have been reading thousands of pages of text messages looking for something. You were looking for that. 
you shouldn't have looked at that and then gone to play pool and had some drinks and then realized, wait a minute, we have to rush back to the office. Anyway, that's sort of a cheap Hollywood contrivance. Uh, you know, there wasn't that the reason, Laura, that the cop brought the case to her to begin with, brought yeah. the case because the cop was like, guys, there's a murder case here. I mean, he was like the one who was like, like to his other officer, like, dude, you're lazy, like get the records. Yeah. And he's the one who read them. and was like, look at these texts that seem bad. So, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel like, Laura, when you see, you know, for lack of a better word, sort of law and order portrayed in this way? And it's clearly just like not the way that it possibly could have happened. Well, it's like a law and order kind of show in terms of like this, like, okay, it's going to be over in in like 60 minutes and we're going to have an ending. But it's very, um, you know, superficial. Some of the conversations I feel like were obviously embellished for, that's a nice way to say it, for the sake of, you know, the fact that this is a TV drama and we need to make it interesting and we need to make people watch is this hence why we have this pool table scene. And, you know, you know that it wasn't that exciting in the real world when they were investigating this case. Again, it felt like sort of like this FX version of <laughs> like the show. Do you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. It's like Rizzoli and Isles meets this real yeah. life case. Uh, Kevin, one last question for you. Yeah. How do you bring a relationship? Because as we learned in the documentary made by Aaron Lee Carr and as we see here, uh, Conrad and Michelle really only had like a few days together in real life, then didn't speak for a long time and then had a relationship that played out entirely online mostly through text messages. Their relationship, I don't want to say it wasn't real because online relationships are real relationships. Michelle, I think, believed it was not only an online relationship, but it was, in fact, only a virtual relationship. How do you do that visually in a, yeah. in a scripted series? So this is going to be the critics damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, we have seen a lot of documentaries where there is a significant digital aspect to it, you know, like Tinder Swindler and whatnot. And we're seeing a lot of text messages and the way that that gets communicated is that we see animations of screenshots and things like that. So the idea that you could do that, you know, the danger is that all the emotion comes out of that. And people can say maybe it's cheesy, but I think given the options to put two actors together in a surreal space where they are talking to each other instead of typing back and forth, especially those, you know, certain kinds of scenes, it builds the drama and the emotional notes that are necessary to convey those things. You even care about what's been happening to me? What's been happening to you? Uh, I was in the hospital for two weeks. Why? Because I'm weak and I'm sensitive and I'm not even sure why you liked me in the first place. Was it like therapy? I tried to kill myself. I'm so sorry. When he has the scene where he he tells her by text, but they're standing next to each other in, in the imaginary land, that, you know, he tried to kill himself. She says, I'm sorry. You know, on the page, on a text, right, there's a lot of different ways that, that can, can sound. They put the emotional notes behind that like good actors should. So... Toby hasn't weighed in on this. I'm sure he's rolling his eyes about it. But I thought that, you know, it was the right choice in this case to make the actors pretend to be in the same place and have a conversation as opposed to seeing animations of things popping back and forth. There was some of that, but in the important stuff they picked, I think it was the right choice. All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know 
Should they check out the scripted series based on the Michelle Carter case? It's called The Girl from Plainville. It's on Hulu. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Girl from Plainville? So this is tough. Overall, I think that the people that acted in this did a tremendous job. You know, the story was told well, but it was also a story that I felt like, what was the purpose in telling the story again? Why why do we need to bring the story up again? I mean, I think that this definitely did shed light on this very unhealthy codependent relationship that Conrad and Michelle had. It shed a light on their relationship. It did this weird thing that we didn't even talk about where they, when they did text messages, at first I thought she was having a hallucination because all of a sudden like Conrad would be there when they were texting, which was a little bit odd. So, you know, this, this is heavy material and it's also, uh, you know, heavy material to watch. Uh, you know, it's about teen suicide and as, as a parent who has a teenager and, you know, has friends and, you know, have kids in this age range. This this is a hard thing to watch. And I think for me, thinking about the families of those involved watching this documentary, I'm just thinking, why now? And and so if you're able to sort of set all that aside, it's an interesting portrayal. It adds some different insight that wasn't in the HBO documentary. But for me, I just found it like a bit too heavy and depressing to watch. So it's a thumbs down, not because of the acting. The actors and actresses did a great job, but just Personally, I just didn't enjoy watching it. So Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the girl from Plainville, as I've just sent to him on Slack, and he just answered uh, thumbs so up or thumbs down. So is he going to appear here? No. Like in a surreal scene? No. Okay. So I just asked him on Kevin, and would you like to read uh, his answer for thumbs up or thumbs down for the girl from Plainville? Toby Ball is thumbs down. Yeah, not surprising. Kevin Flynn, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the girl from Plainville? You know, I'm going sideways um, only because I can't. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Plainville, he says, was a catastrophe. Okay, go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> uh, I, I got to go thumbs sideways only because I can't give it a thumbs down. There's so much that they're doing here, which is really well. The performances are great. When you're writing drama, you want to touch people's feelings. You want to play with their emotions. I don't know if you could say it's they do it too well, but they do it with something that just is so heavy. You know, I think I had an easier time watching the Chernobyl thing hmm. emotionally. It ended up making it not enjoyable to watch, but I can't kill it for the craft. You know, it wasn't perfect, but I still have to admire what is good about it. Not enough for me to say thumbs up, so I'm just going to say thumb sideways. It's sort of it's sort of for me like the um, improvement association conundrum. Like you can't say it was poorly made. You can't say it was poorly executed. I love Elle Fanning so much. I love Chloe Sevigny so much. The performance is great. The writing in this is not bad. If this were fiction, I'd be like, this is really interesting. I cannot get over the fact that this was made. I cannot. I have to give this a thumbs down. As I don't want to just say as a parent, I feel like that's the saying, like as a father of daughters. No, as a human being, I cannot get over the fact that a scripted series was made about a real life case of a child who died by suicide and the mentally ill child who is in prison because she was involved with this other child who died by suicide. I cannot get over the fact that a scripted series was made about that that includes musical numbers 
and fictionalized scenes and fictionalized dialogues. A few weeks ago, uh, Big Ron was on the show and he talked about the biopic problem where at some point you have to make up scenes and you either can do it well or do it terribly. And all I could think of the entire time was that this scene between this mother and son in some writer's room was written. This scene between this father and son in some writer's room was written. This scene of this child dead in the car was written in some writer's room. I cannot endorse the fact that this thing was made. And for that reason, I am giving the girl from Plainville a big fat giant thumbs down. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. What a segue, right, Kevin? <laughs> Let's shift gears. A little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. Of the week. We don't know if these scientists have been studying mushrooms or doing mushrooms. Oh, I'm so glad we're doing this, Kevin. I didn't know what this was going to be. <laughs> but researchers in England say the fungi or fungi, I never know how that word can be pronounced. Fungi, fungi can talk Vegeta. to each other. I am so excited about this story because my son is a vegetarian. He thinks he's superior. Now I'm going to tell him that mushrooms can talk. (laughs) Well, wait. Read on. The report comes from a professor at the aptly named Unconventional Computer Laboratory at the University of the West of England. He says the mushrooms send a spike of electrical impulses to one another through underground connections. These impulses have similarities to brain activity during human speech. The researcher says he's recorded the impulses and discovered a mushroom vocabulary of about 50 words. And he says the average mushroom word is longer than the average English word. Other bioscience academics are not as convinced. One says the rhythmic patterns of impulses is interesting, but the existence of language is, quote, somewhat overenthusiastic. Needless to say... It may be a while before we can type fungus into Google Translate. So, panel, who knew fungi or fungi were so chatty? What do mushrooms talk about? What do you think, Clara Bricker? They talk about they'd like a little more garlic and wine mixed in when they're sauteed. <laughs> what do you think, Kevin? <laughs> it's me, Mario. <laughs> I just think like... Do we want to be next to the anchovies or do we not want to be next to the anchovies? All right. So, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, do you want a little more garlic and white wine mixed with you? And say they want to do that on Twitter. How can they find you there? Uh, they can find me at Lara Bricker. And Kevin Flynn, if people want to challenge you to a game of Mario Kart, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to talk to me about how awesome this mushroom communication potentially is and how these other scientists are just being assholes by not acknowledging <laughs> that these mushrooms might have a language and perhaps we should not think of ourselves as the most superior species oh, ever. Jesus H. Christ. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular Facebook page and hit join the group. I've been hearing tale that some people think our page is the group. It is not. The page is the page. When you go there, join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On after show, Married with Podcast, Lara Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. 
Our line editor is the very handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin and I recreate all of the dance sequences from Glee. All of them. That's me. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. I just had this amazing phenomenon. You ever heard okay. that, like when you d- when you yawn, it makes your dog yawn? Yeah. Okay. So Kevin no. just t- well, there's a whole phenomenon where like if you yawn, your dog will yawn. And that's actually true because it's okay. true a lot. Not every time, but a lot of the time because they have this pack behavior and they take cues from other dogs. Like if one dog yawns, the other dog will yawn. It's like to get them in sync or whatever. And they actually will follow the same cues from humans. So like if you yawn, sometimes your dog will also yawn. Kevin literally just came inside and told me the dog took a poop. And I immediately was like, I have to do a number two. <laughs> Which oh, is why no. I'm late. Sorry, guys. Partners in Crime Media. Media.